Ochoa, I have a question for you today. My question is, we were just talking off air about our new campus. It's being built. It's very beautiful. It is not fully done just yet. Everyone's got questions about what to do with the new campus when we can move in. Yada, yada, yada. July 28th. School starts on like August 18th. It's very stressful in terms of what's coming. My question to you is, you've had a new campus. You're coming from a school that wasn't built that long ago. Um, I want to know what you're looking forward to the most about a new campus because not everything that glitters is gold. We know this. There's some restrictions that comes with uh, the new building. But what I want to know of something positive though, in terms of a new campus, what is it that you feel like is the, the most exciting thing that you're going to walk into and see experience, etc.? Well, one of the things that's great is being the very first person to ever be in that room. Because when I was at, I did get to open a Birdville when it came, when it was opened, you know, one of our other high schools and it had its glitches, you know, cause every building they have to, anything new, it's got to work out its kinks, but just the, I'm even still proud, you know, I'll go in there for a training or something. I'll go, that was my room. I was the first teacher in that room. And it's kind of exciting to be able to be the first one to kind of, you know, be there and, open it up for the kids and make it your own. And I think that's exciting. I like doing stuff like that, but uh, it will have its little, you know, nuance problems because every school does something they forgot to put in or something doesn't work right. Or, you know, what they thought sometimes things look great on paper, but then, you know, they're not. Now I do know just looking at the plans that you've given me and, and coming, it's very similar to the school I just came from. So I have already looked at it. I know that um, the first teacher that had the room where I was at in the other school, she ruined the boards. Nothing against her, but I mean, she put tape all over the boards. And uh, and so I, I'm telling you, I was there for two years and I'm still on my last day scraping tape off of the boards and it really and I like using the boards not to tape my stuff up I like I like the kids to get on the boards so I think we're going to have those retractable walls and if we are and if it's going to be whiteboard and I think that's right is that right so if it is I'm telling you I am so excited about that because I like to put um I use magnets because they're usually magnetic as walls were so there's no reason for all that tape there was just no reason it ruined the board but uh, so I think as a first year teacher, I have to consider the people that are going to come in behind me and I don't need to ruin anything that's there. So I'm going to probably use magnets, but I'll put like writing on, or, you know, maybe a poem or something on the board. And then I'll have the kids break them up into groups and then they'll write all over the board, all around that piece of writing. And I'm excited to be the first person in a room. You know, that's actually... I had a different answer. I always think of my own answer when I ask a question, but I had a different okay. one, but that was one that that's a good one because I have, I don't know. I have you ever done the strengths finder test? Yes. So woo and all that stuff. Yeah. So I have the, woo. Woo is in my top five and anyone that's listened to the podcast understands that. But, um, right. co- context was my number one. 
And and the way I, I haven't read Not up on this in a one. while, so someone might be listening to this and they might really be railing at me in a second when I describe this, but context, it had a lot to do with under, like being appreciative of the context of stuff. And, and this, ha- you know, it deals with like history and stuff. And that makes sense why I, okay. I research the way I do and I read articles the way I do and, and all of that stuff. But in terms of being the first one in a building, that's actually really interesting. Cause one of the things I liked about uh, Richland middle school where I've been for, you know, seven of my eight years is, um, well, six of my seven years, I guess I'm going to my eighth, whatever the, is the, is the fact that there was so much history embedded in there. And there were so many, you know, I had been in so many building or so many rooms in the building. So I had like, Oh, I remember that's where I taught first. And, you know, I had this memory here and et cetera, et cetera. And you, you kind of get to start over, so to speak, in terms of those memories. Although what's cool about our campus is they took um, a wall from the original building, a whole wall from that, that has like Richmond Middle School on it. And that wall is going to be implanted into the new building, which is kind of cool. So we're still going to have that, 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 yeah, that's kind of cool, right? So they're going to have that history there. And that's the stuff I love. I love history. I love old stuff. That's why like my wife and I, we don't really travel that often. And we even, we, we didn't have money when we were younger. And then when we had a son with autism that, you know, just puts certain, you have to think about travel a different way with that. So we haven't done that, but we've always talked about like, I don't like the beach. Like the beach is fine. The ocean is cool. Like I dig it, but like I always tell her, like, you know, I want to go to Washington, D.C. and go to Rome and Italy. You know, I want to go to older places. And there's we have a rich history in America, but I also want to go, you know, other places across the sea because I love that stuff. But I, I don't know. I like that answer. All of that to say was me praising your answer. But moving on from that, guys, welcome to the Craft and Draft podcast. <laughs> this is a podcast between my co-creator of the Craft and Draft Pam Ochoa and myself, Jacob Chastain. We talk about reading and writing workshop on this. We also talk about a lot. We meander a little bit. This is such a free form conversation. We set topics and we go and we see where we take them because we just love what we do. We're recording this at 1038. Didn't sound now that I say that, I sound like an old man. (laughs) But I sound like an old man, <laughs> but you know, it, it is what it is. We only do this because we love it, but we're going to be talking, um, today about the, is there any non-negotiables in the workshop? And this was something I had this idea as I was revising, uh, my next book and I had, I, I realized that one of the things I was balancing was talking about, uh, you know, being open, but also saying there's certain things that kind of need to be in place. So I figured that'd be a fun conversation between Miss Ochoa and I. So stick around. Uh, we're going to go through all of that today. All right, Miss Ochoa, my second question has uh-huh. to deal with a message that I got from a listener. And I want to pitch this to you and talk this out live. Um, just because all I right. think. It's interesting, but our question, it's not a very long question, Um, but it says, she asked, can we provide an example of our craft book? She's beginning workshop this year in fourth grade, exclamation point. I assume the exclamation point means she's excited about it. She's moving from K through two. 
And I'm stoked to be in a county in Georgia that is putting a lot of focus on workshop this year. So it sounds like she's in a fantastic school or district that's doing some workshop focus. And my thing to you is I know we've been... We've been teasing doing some live stuff, doing some actual training rather than because this podcast is more of a discussion around workshop and craft and draft, but we are, you know, there is an actual craft and draft thing we've made um, that we <laughs> reference quite a bit, but it's it's hard to get it up. We've talked about it briefly uh-huh. on the podcast, but you kind of have to you have to see it. So my question was, do you think before I mean maybe within the next few weeks we could put something together, either a video, it doesn't have to be live, but a video or something to where we could demonstrate some of these things for, for people that might be needing, like they're like, Hey, I'm starting workshop. I don't know what to do. I feel like it would be perfect for us to do. Yeah. I think that'd be great. I'd love to do it. We just have to figure out the logistics of it. Yeah. And the timing, right. Um, I I think if I was listening, I would want to know, and I'd want to be able to see it. I, I know uh, we would already be finished with the book, but everybody, I'm the problem. <laughs> I am slow. <laughs> to be fair. I, the reason I, the problem is I am, I am actually, I'm doing a lot of training this summer. So like I spent all day today, I went from six to six today. And uh, anyway, most of it was training about reading workshops. So that's what I did today. Yeah, so Ochoa is she's such a big time trainer. That's what she does all the time. I'm just a podcaster and a, I just write books and podcasts. That's like what I do. <laughs> and, have and me, I, I, I start books. I don't finish them, but I do train. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> that's a, the problem. <laughs> it is what it is. You know what I mean? And uh, like a dummy. You know, I started two books at the same time and one was alone and then I got a contract for one. It was just whatever. Well, right. That's so what happened. So, so to be that, fair, that is, you I had don't. a contract. Hey, we had there was and it wasn't my contract. On. Well, and craft and draft, it, to be honest, craft and draft is, you know, we're going to we put so much, you know, we value research and we cite it so often on this mm-hmm. podcast. But, you know, that book is far more research oriented and, and far more. uh detailed than what rightfully empowered is rightfully empowered. It says it in the, the subtitle, it's a manifesto. It's designed to get teachers fired up, to go let kids write and do that. It's, it's the catalyst and craft and draft is like, okay, sweet. You're fired up. Here's how you do it. Here's how to do it. (laughs) And I couldn't do that without you to be fair, but okay. Thanks. Well, and so there's stuff like that, that, uh, you know, I, it's interesting because we're in a weird situation to where, you know, we're the book is coming and, you know, it is a, a product. It's something that we want to give people and, you know, something that's that's valuable to them and worth their time and money. But at the same time, you know, we, we have a podcast and a and a and a audience that is interested in actually using the stuff that we do. So I think it would be really cool to give like the early adopters, so to speak, kind of the inside scoop on what craft and draft looks like in practice, how the journals are set up, show them what it looks like. And then they can be the ones who vouch for it when the book comes out. You know what I mean? I think that'd be great. And I think it's, it's such a cool community thing too, because, you know, at the very least they'll be able to give us, Hey, I love it. Here's some feedback before we publish the book so we can solve any issues we didn't think about. (laughs) 
So I, there's multiple reasons why I think it's a good idea. Um, I just wanted to talk about it on the show because this is how we make decisions anyway. But um, I think that'll be great. So I think anyone listening to this who's interested in that, we're probably going to have either a live session or maybe a live session that we record and put it out there later for you or just record a video. It just really depends. Miss Ochoa just bought herself a fancy computer that she's not on right I now. I because... Well, because the computer, I'm on a phone right now. I'm not yeah. on our typical computer because mine crashed. It just crashed on me. I can't even get it to turn on. So I was forced to buy a new computer and I made sure it can handle all the stuff we were going to be doing. That's right. So she she's getting, she's about to be all fancy. So we, we should be able to uh, capitalize on some of this. And, you know, if there's any issues, we'll make it happen regardless. So stay tuned. Like that Facebook page. Um if you're into that or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, I'm sure I'll announce it somewhere. But moving on to the question of the show, which is, you know, are there any non-negotiables in workshop? And it's funny, I texted you this question and you said yes. So I'm going to pitch it to you because <laughs> you have this and we can start in reading and writing. Those are doesn't matter. Uh-huh. We, we can merge it together. But um, I'm curious as to. Because we, we talk about our last episode was like, is freedom less rigorous? And I, I, our answer is no, it's more rigorous. So how does, how does freedom in the workshop connect to non-negotiables in terms of creating a workshop? It's an interesting connection. Yeah, I actually talked about this today a little bit in my training because we were doing a reading workshop today. And, but one of the things that I, I think is a non-negotiable, there's several, but one is they have to read every day. They have to write every day. The teacher needs to be able to conference almost daily. I even conferenced today with some of my participants. Um, and it doesn't always have to be a formal conference, but just be available for the students to answer questions. Uh, choice has got to be a non-negotiable. You have to provide choice and relevancy for those, uh, you know, for your students. And then you need a mini lesson. Your lessons need to be in mini or macro format. And you need to debrief every day. Is there anything I left out? Well, I don't know. I want to hit on some of those because I think what made me think of this question, I told you I was working on my book, but Mm -hmm. one of the things I said was, you know, there's not – a lot of prescriptions in it. This book is not a how to necessarily, but there are things that you shouldn't skip. And one of the things, while the book is about writing, I say kids should be reading. They should have that time. But I was like, one of the non-negotiables of a writing workshop is that kids have time to write every single day. I was like, it cannot be something that is, uh, you know, free writing Wednesdays or free writing Fridays or anything like that. It is, it's not something that you do to fill up time. It's not something you tell the kids to do while you go off and grade. It isn't any of that. And we have seen it and we've done it to where we're like, oh, we'll just let kids free write. But really, it's just them kind of meandering while we go and grade something or whatever. Or it, it's it's limited to uh, a quick write. And we love quick writes. And I love quick writes. And Linda Reef is absolutely amazing. But... 
the writing time is sacred, you know, and I, what's funny is I started this on the reading side. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but when I started down my workshop journey, I was like, you know what? The thing I'm going to commit to is 15 minutes of reading every single day. That's what I was going to do. Let kids do that. Go through the process, read for 15 minutes every day. And it was sacred. I was like, none, nothing gets in the way. We're going to read for the 15 minutes every single day. And I did it. And what I realized is that there was one, it was super beneficial, but I totally had time for that and more. And on the writing side, it became that too. I was like, because it's, it's getting into a book, you know, Nancy Atwell calls it the reading zone. When you get into the reading zone, it takes a minute, right? If I picked up a book right now, after talking to you, it would take me a minute to get into that book. I need time, right? It might take me five minutes to get to where I'm in a narrative. It might take me even a little bit longer than that. Same thing for writing. It might take me time to process. So like, I think at the very minimum that reading and writing time are kind of the non-negotiables of workshop. Um, you know, one that I thought of that I want to get your feedback on is the, I think a non-negotiable in in a workshop where kids are choosing what they read, choosing what they write, choosing what they focus on. I think one of the big non-negotiables is uh, knowing that there's not going to be a gotcha, knowing that they're not going to be punished for, you know, selecting certain types of books or choosing to write about certain types of things. And, uh, that I feel like like security, I guess, is that in a broad sense is another non-negotiable. Do you think that's one? Oh, no, I think that's a good one. I mean, I think um, actually in this particular week's uh, institute or workshop that we did, which is all reading workshop, uh, one of the first things we did for the whole first half of the first day was community because honestly, building a community that's safe and it's not just safe from the teacher, but it's safe from with each other that what you're trying to do is is build a group of of readers and writers and thinkers that collaborate with each other that feel where ideas are safe to be uh you know it's safe to go ahead and and state those ideas, share those ideas uh read your ideas, you know write all those kinds of things so so I think a safe environment probably does need to be maybe even number one. But you do that by building a community. You do that by not having the I got you's, by accepting the ideas no matter how, where they begin. Uh, you, you begin where the kids are and you recognize where they are and you take time to learn about the students. Uh, not just a little quick survey and then you put it in your desk or in your file cabinet and you move on, which I've been guilty of doing that, so I wouldn't have mentioned that, but I used to, you know, do my little, fill out this little card at the beginning on the first day, and then it goes into my little file cabinet, and then I forget to pull it out, and then I just go on with my lessons. Well, what's the use in that? So I think it's very important that we get, at the beginning, we get to know our students. We share a little bit of ourselves, and um, and we we also uh, struggle in front of the students. We We model in front of them. We read aloud in front of them. We right in front of them. We share our own. So it's, it's about, uh, teachers taking risks also in front of the students. Yeah. And there, there has to be that, I don't know. I, and you, uh, you know, Abydos talks a lot about this and you talk a lot about this and this is something that 
I build in different ways, but it is definitely something that I'm not entirely versed in, but it really comes down to creating a community of safety, right? Because it's the, you don't get people writing what they want, what they need to write in a, in a place where they, they feel unsafe. And, you know, one, one thing I've tried to remember is, you know, when you constantly write knowing that other people are going to read it and judge it because that's just what people do, mm-hmm. uh, you're never going to write as honestly as you need to. And I don't think, I think really to get people to be invested in the power of writing, especially children and young adults, is realizing that writing is, it's therapeutic, it is a release, it's creative, it's empowering, it's all of these things. And when we create an environment for students to where they are able to experience those things, then you can write for other purposes better. I think you write more, you write incredible persuasive essays when you have experienced the volume of what writing can be. The best persuasive essays I've ever read, including books, are books that come from a place of uh, not only knowledge, but they're written well. Like I have read books that have tons of knowledge and they're written horribly, right? Like they're, they're stale and we've read essays like that, but I've also read essays that are divine in their language and how they approach certain things. And you don't get to that level unless you are a writer who has written for yourself, written for your own purposes, done that. And you don't get there unless you've had, uh, positive experiences with being able to put things on the page without fear of retribution. You know, I, in middle school, I spend a lot of my time empowering students to write about what they want to write about. I mean, do you see that? Do you see like, like kids like being wary to like put certain things down on the page? Oh yeah. I mean, you see that in, in students and you see that in adults. Uh, cause you know, I, I teach both groups and the thing is, is it's, it's just so vulnerable when you put yourself out there and to put yourself out there where your peer that you want to impress is about to read it and you don't know how they're going to accept it, you know, or that young person you've had this crush on, you know, and you're finally in a group with them and you're about to have to share your, your you know, what you've probably been hiding from this whole time. That's pretty vulnerable. You know, really think about it. I mean, that's pretty scary. So, you know, so you have to take time. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off, but I want to say I've had, so middle school, I mean, anyone who's ever taught middle school knows that, you know, relationships galore, kids are experiencing this stuff. (laughs) I had several like groups. So I had like love triangles going on this year to where, so (laughs) students know that I published stuff on the walls, right? So they were intentionally trying to write in a way that was talking to the other person that was trying to steal, you know, their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever and have like this back and forth. Obviously, I didn't condone this behavior, but they were like, hey, can we get this on the wall? And I'm like, this is such a unique reason to want to write. And, you know, I wanted them to write and be into it. It was, you know, here's the thing. What's like, it's the... 
the Robin Williams quote in the Dead Poet Society, right? You know, you know, men write and control language to get girlfriends. That, that's not what women. it is. Yeah, to woo women. <laughs> so, like, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, this is well, this is such an authentic thing. <laughs> and I, I wrote, like, the I mean, half – I she'd probably disagree, but one of the reasons I feel like I got together with my wife is I was able to write really good letters. Right. And like, write And write love songs and stuff like that. Like I've always, I've, uh, yes, I've always communicated in the written word. I feel like as much as I podcast, I really do feel like I'm best when I have time to create and, and write on my own and kind of in solitude and whatnot. But it was just this authentic experience. But here's the thing. None of them would have ever gotten to that point to where they were actively not only writing it, but talking about it and trying to get it published because they thought it was going to help them. That would have never happened if there wasn't trust <laughs> built into the workshop. You know what I mean? That's true. That's true. That's true. There's, yeah. so, I, there's so much value to that, though, because even like ignore the relationship stuff. Let, let's talk actual teaching. They're pra- they're writing a lot. They're writing for a purpose. They're trying to be precise in their language because they're trying to woo whoever they're trying to woo, right? And they're because of my structure of my class and because of the craft and draft system, they're trying to use the many lessons of the model text in their writing because they know that this that that gets their grade up to a certain point um, in the, the final evaluation. So that the academics of what's happening is amazing, but it's all built on this buy-in of trust and understanding that like, I'm not making them, Hey, you know, here's your prompt for the day. Explain to me why it's good to have best friends. I freed them and they find their own freaking purposes to write, but that's, that's what all writers do right. naturally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, this yeah. is it's the it's excitement of it. But it I don't know what what other uh, non negotiables are there. So we've talked about um, the time to read and write. We've talked about security. What else? What else is it? Can you think of anything else? Well, I mean, I think you know the like you said the time for reading and writing uh, that came up this week in my you know like. How how long do you give them? How long? I mean, like, what does that look like? Length uh, is always so a question. So we talked about that, huh? I didn't hear. You. I said length is always a question. Yeah, it is. And so you know, we kind of indicated. Uh, I shared with them that I felt like at minimum of ten minutes every day. That's a minimum. Uh, if you did ten minutes every day, then I would say at least do uh, every other week a minimum of. 30 to 40 minutes of reading, you know, have a long reading in there as well uh, and a long writing. So you could alternate your weeks that way. Uh, I, I just think the more that you can get them to write, but but just keep in mind that you can get students to, there's a lot of different reasons. So you can look at the smaller things that you read throughout your lesson and that, you know, you could also include that. But, uh, but I would say a minimum of 10 minutes. I typically do around 15 if I can, but, uh, and then I usually have a long, a longer period because you'd mentioned Nancy Atwell talking about the reading, uh, that zone, right? And actually it, there is some research about flow, somebody getting into their flow. It's kind of like the second wind in a race. You know, my dad, who was a coach would say, you just keep running until you get your second wind, you know, 
And, and he goes, I would work the kids out. He was a basketball coach until they got their second wind. And then we would push in a little harder. And I think it's the same way with reading and writing. I think it takes a good 15 to 20 minutes to get into that flow. But once you get in the flow, and I think we've all experienced it, it's where time seems like you're in a time castle. You don't even, you don't even know that uh, an hour has gone by. You're, you're in this flow and you don't even realize how much time has gone by. That's when, and I love it in a classroom because that's when um, you go, okay, class, it's time to put up. And they go, ah, you know, and, and when you hear a chorus of, ah, it's, it's already time. I mean, then you know that they've all hit that flow. And I think, I think that's why 10 minutes, I don't know if that completely gets them into a flow. So I think at least periodically, you want to have a more extended time to allow them that that flow, because I think that's a very important part of reading and writing. You know, I have a, I've had I've had that a lot. You know, students, I I've had very good luck with getting students into to writing, and it's something I feel passionate and comfortable with. the The reading uh-huh. thing is always interesting because I feel like kids are more resistant to reading in a lot of ways, especially if you're dealing with students who have had bad experiences or don't read well. But when I was a literacy coach, I had a class filled with kids who some of them read, most of them didn't. It was a huge, it was just literally the rainbow of all the readers you could have. And I had this image on my Instagram that I took a picture because I had, you know, the carpets or whatever. And I'm this group of kids, they hated reading. They laughed at me when I said we were going to read every day. I slowly got more books for the library and I made it a thing. And there was this time where we were reading. I think we did like 15 minutes and I it came to a stop. This was even back when I used timers. I don't even use timers anymore. But I remember we did the, oh, the timer okay. and... They, I remember stopping, they, every single one of them begged me for more time, right? And it wasn't like, uh, we're just hanging out. Like they were invested in their books. They could tell me what they were Mm -hmm. talking about. I had conferred with all of them. Like it was, they were about as for sure as could be. And they were just reading there. And I have this picture of them just sitting on the floor, all cuddled together, basically on like this little square. And I was like, man, this... (laughs) I mean, the process just works like the, the give kids so many books that are relevant and connect to them and are interesting and give them the time to get into them. That's low stakes that where they don't feel like you're going to trap them and they're going to do it. Like, you know, there, there's such a push for like, you know, high achieving academics and stuff. And I, I just think in a lot of the conversations that happen, we don't talk enough about what love for something does. That doesn't mean every kid's going to absolutely love every book they read. I mean, every kid's going to love writing, et cetera, et cetera. But getting someone to enjoy something is half the freaking battle at this age. You know, when you're an adult, like you do things because you have to, right? You take classes because you have to in college. You go to the job because you have to. You do all these things. Right. But as a kid, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's, it's a different world, and uh, kids understand, you know, especially at the middle school and high school level, that they really don't have to, right? And especially if they can pass a test, like they don't need to like reading, they don't need to like writing. But if we can get them there, just I mean, the trajectory of their life that's going to change if they decide that they they really do 
like reading, that they do like writing, that they, they like this time of, of solitude and, and, and reflective, uh, practices and stuff. I mean, is I just think that that's so much a part of workshop that I feel like a lot of the conversations, you know, teachers care about grades. They care about accountability. They care about following the standards. They follow, they care about following the curriculum. But I feel like so much of this is like, we have to create a system where kids really enjoy the acts of what we're doing in class. Otherwise everything's going to be an uphill battle. If you constantly are trying to force a bad or an inexperienced reader or an inexperienced writer to enjoy those things without giving them the time to do it. I mean, you're just causing yourself problems. Like, I feel like that's so much a part of burnout as everything else that happens to teachers. Like I wouldn't want to go to work knowing that I'm about to face, uh, you know, 40 to 120 students that hate my class. Like, why would I want to show up to work to do that? (laughs) Oh, I know. I mean, that's it. I don't know. I just, most of the kids typically like my class. I, I think they do. But, but when you're, you mentioned timer and all of that, I'm not one that does a lot of timers. I never have. I kind of just keep an eye on the clock and just kind of mentally re- in a relaxed way, move the kids to the next uh, transition period. I don't do timers. Some people do timers. I I, I feel like if you let yourself, you know, like your mini lessons go too long, things like that, you might need a timer or if you really have to get certain things done, you know, so I'm not against timers. I'm not saying that, but, but I think sometimes if we keep that time so rigid, then I think it ruins the flow sometimes of the, you know, of, of the workshop. So you don't always get that, that flow from the students because they're busy looking at, you know, okay, Uh, I'm about to have, oh, I'm not going to read. I don't even have time to get into it. So, I mean, I think sometimes we have to be careful of being so structured. I'm not saying you don't have structure. I'm just saying so mechanical in your structure that you really want it to be a a natural uh, ebb and flow learning, you know, a relaxed atmosphere, Uh, but yet tense enough that they know when something's due, you've got to turn it in, things like that. So, it really is kind of a balance, kind of a kind of a magic, I think, about it, kind of an art. The art of teaching a workshop is really something that doesn't happen overnight. I think you just have to practice. Well, and you know, the moment I stopped using timers was when I realized my the kids that I needed to read the most were the ones looking at the timer the most. Right. right? I think that's where I was going with that. You said that better than me, yes. Well, it was like, it just kind of happens. Like the kids who are going to read, like they're going to read and they're going to be like, can we have more time? And they're going to jump into it immediately. But you know, the non-readers that you're trying to get to that point, you know, they spend some time, you know, they open the book, there's something they need to do. They ask to go to the restroom, they're stalling. They, so they spend maybe like five minutes of reading and then they like, oh, well, I can't start another chapter because there's only five minutes left on the timer. I've even had them tell me that. (laughs) Well, I can't do another paragraph, Ms. Ochoa. I don't have time. (laughs) It's like, that's right. That that backfired. Like, that was when I was like, you know, I don't. Like, here's the thing, though. One thing I will say about timers is they definitely taught me 
they, they taught me just like how things feel, like how much time is really being spent on something. Right. What is what does fifteen minutes feel like? What is twenty minutes, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I did value that. So it's like a scaffold for workshop, I think. But once you get yes. the feel for it, or once you are able to kind of balance it, then I think just get rid of them. Like if you like if you need to hide it from them, I think that's probably a better goal too. Is just don't even show the timer. Like I used to display it like big and huge on my whiteboard. You know what I mean? And just like everyone on the planet can see the timer going down. And that, that was part of because my Kagan training and they don't say to do that during reading time. I just took the, the timers that they use for their structures and use that. But, um, it, you know, it has its drawbacks, same thing as everything, but. Well, I think sometimes, you know, I think you use music. But using music is not really a timer, but when the music goes off, they know it's time to be finished. So sometimes that's a way of doing it. It's a little less abrupt and they're not watching something. So that's something I've learned. But I, I I love music. I don't use music in reading. It's because most of the music playing in my room is actually modern music in there when we're writing. Like once I know I kind you. of what they listen to, you know, we're, we're getting, we're like turning up, we're dancing, we're, we're singing along, we're rapping. I mean, we go through it all mine's in my classroom. Like, mine's more like relax and study music, you know, yeah. Just yeah, that's happen. why you're going to be great for our co-partner this year because she's very much the relaxing type. And I'm over here like, <laughs> ums, 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 ums. Well, I think sometimes, but I'm more, I'm more of the, uh, uh, have you heard, you know, the 57th Street Bridge by Simon and Garfunkel? Because you need to learn the word groovy. That's right. <laughs> that's more. That's more. Oh, do y'all have you not seen Shirley Temple? Let's do Animal Crackers. <laughs> I'm hey, more of a. Speaking of old movies, and this is going to derail this entirely, but it's probably time to close it out anyway. But I saw Willy Wonka for the first time in my life. Like the actual. The old one? Yeah, the old one. My oh. wife and I were sitting there, and we were we didn't know what movie to watch. It was free on Amazon, so we watched it. And I was like, "This is a weird movie, man." <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. Well, the ending know, the, was very strange. It is different. Well, I will tell you that Willy Wonka, and you're talking about with um, uh, Wilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, you know that first came out when I was just a kid. You know that, right? I mean, like I was a kid, uh, probably about. What? I, what I, I mean, I just, you know, I just assume you, I don't know. I just assume all the movies have been out since you've been alive. You know what I mean? So I just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was a kid when it came out. Anyway, uh, and so it played on our, in, in the theaters, you know, and we had to go outside. It was one of the drive in theaters up in the panhandle because we lived up in the panhandle when I was little. And anyway, Kate, they, we were watching it. It was awesome. And then they came on the speaker and said, we are no longer going to show Willy Wonka because you need to get home, get into shelter. There is a tornado on the way. And so anyway, I didn't get to watch the whole film. It ended, I think she had gone to the telephone, I mean, through the television. And then it ended right there because there was a tornado on the way to the theater it was awful. There was a real tornado. It was really a real tornado. But we made it home. We were safe. But guess what? I never got, I didn't get to see that until I was an adult, the rest of it. So 
I lost my moment. I only saw the first half of the film when it first came out. It's all right. That's the memory you just pulled up for me. <laughs> See, and that would happen in a workshop, right? We'd just be having a conversation. Something comes right. up. But I ladies and gentlemen, we should write about it, Jacob. Oh my God, that's going to be in craft and draft. But you got to stick around, you guys. Stick around for everything else that we're going to talk about. Stick around for our demonstration of the craft book and draft book. It's coming. We're going to get you guys ready for your new year. We'll try to make it timely, but we'll see technical difficulties abound and trainings, everything going on. Everyone's busy at this time of year. So we'll see what goes down, but we're going to make it happen. This is Craft and Draft. That's Pam Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We talk about Reading Grand Workshop. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit that rating button. If uh, We've been getting some more, so thank you guys for that. If you want to write a review for the podcast, that'd be actually amazing. You can find the website at craftanddraftworkshop.com. You can go to the Facebook page, DM us, but if you go to the website, you can also just submit a question there. We love answering questions. It really we really do love having episodes where you guys just ask a question. So never feel like a question is a dumb question. We will answer whatever you guys want to talk about. But for everything else, ladies and gentlemen, know that we're here. For you. 